It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from Microsoft Surface. Now more than ever, you need a laptop that can be as adaptable as you are. Introducing Microsoft Surface Laptop Go. Finally, a premium laptop at an affordable price. Starting at just $549, its light, thin design, vibrant touchscreen, powerful processor, and built-in HD camera and mic turns any room in your home into a classroom, office, or study hall. Available in three amazing colors the whole family will love. Visit surface.com slash laptop go for more details. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. You're locked on Warriors, daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I'm Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. I wanted to get back and do another Reddit mailbag because there's this lull between the Warriors making it into the NBA Finals and specifically knowing their opponent and everything else like that. So what I wanted to do was a, what I plan to do is a two-part Reddit mailbag going through the questions that are on our Warriors and got a lot of good stuff and then really do a finals preview in earnest starting with the episodes next week. More than a week anyways, a little bit too much. So that is the plan for this, and this episode is brought to you by SeatGeek. SeatGeek is my personal way of buying and selling tickets. You download the free app, use the settings tab and the promo code LOWARRIORS to get a $20 rebate and check it out on your first order. First question is from Avery Beal, and it is, have the Warriors coaching staff figured out how to combat how aggressive defenders are with Stephen Curry? And... I think it has to be broken into two different parts. So the first part is off ball and I, when Curry doesn't have the ball in his hands. And I think the answer there is no, but I also don't think that there is an answer because if refs are going to call what they should call, then he's fine, but they don't do that. That's just not the way it is, it's done. So really the way that you have to deal with that is by exaggerating contact, which he's done a little bit, and by maybe putting the ball in his hands a little bit more. And then that's what ties in with the second part of this. And on ball, I wouldn't say that it's a coaching solution necessarily. It's more of a player solution, but Curry noticeably in the playoffs has gone to more of that call-seeking behavior, which is notable for a lot of his guard brethren, Harden being the poster child, but Lou Williams, Isaiah Thomas, Russell Westbrook to a point, those guys draw fouls by seeking out a little bit more contact and by exaggerating it when it comes. And while I think it leads to a less watchable, enjoyable product, if that's the way the league is going to officiate things, then players are within their rights to handle it that way. And so Curry has done that more during these playoffs, especially in the last two rounds. And That could work incredibly well in the finals. It'll depend on how it's officiated, but broadly speaking, refs can't help themselves with that sort of thing. So I fully expect that to be a part of the NBA finals for better or for worse. 
Question from Eduardo McLegendary. What do you see happening with the coaching situation in future seasons on the off and terrible chance that Kerr can't continue on the bench? Not a situation any of us really want to see, but if it were to happen, I believe the Warriors front office would just treat it as if it were a brand new search. Continuity would be nice, and I think they would be looking for that from the assistants, but you really would, if he got to the point where he said, basically, I can't do this, and you're not going with interim coaches, then you take it to a wide open search, and the Warriors would then become the most desirable job in the sport, period. And I do not have a fit in mind should that come to pass. I haven't spent any mental energy thinking about who it would be, but I do believe that would be the process. And Mike Brown would be considered, certainly, but I think it would be wide open. And we have seen the Warriors do well with co- with coaches and even interim coaches twice now who were somewhat new to the process. And the Warriors haven't even been in this form for that long. I mean, this is Kerr's third year since taking the job, so there still is kind of a cultural part of it that I think they would want to continue. But I do not feel that Mike Brown, who came to the team this year, is essential for maintaining that culture. I think that would be more of some of the structural stuff the players have already learned, but maybe somebody like Ron Adams in that in that particular thing. But I don't think if Ron Adams wanted to be head coach, I'm I'm confident that he would have been by now. So we'll see. It's a bit it's a big question if it ends up coming to pass, but we can cross that bridge when we get to it because it's so speculative and there's a lot that we don't know and a lot that we can't know. And so I don't really want to go into it too much. The next question is from Winter Assassin R. Is Clay Strump a slump, a cause for concern, especially since they have nine days of rest before playing another game? I don't think it's a big concern, but it's something worth keeping an eye on because there are two parts of what makes what Clay has done less damaging than it would be for other players. One is he's still playing good defense. I thought he did a wonderful job on Patty Mills when he was on him for much of the last three games of the San Antonio series, and I thought he did a nice job as kind of his base assignment was on Gordon Hayward in the Jazz series. I thought he did a really nice job both of those times. There are a lot of players, I would say a majority of players in the league, that let offensive struggles affect them defensively. That's just the way we are. I mean, for those of us who have played pickup, you get into that, you miss a couple shots, you get mad at yourself, and even if it's just that you're in your own head and it's not about effort, you can just get out of it a little bit. And I think Clay's done a really nice job handling that. And the second part of it is the Warriors can survive his misses offensively for the reason that they have a lot of other offensive talent. They are not super reliant on him. This is not last year during the Blazers series when he was such a huge part of their offense. They have Stephen Curry. They have Kevin Durant. They have the overall system. But also on top of that, Thompson is still getting guarded. And there is no reasonable circumstance that exists where Thompson would all of a sudden not be guarded, where the other team would say, oh, you know, he's missed five, six out of his last seven shots. We don't need to keep a guy on Clay Thompson. That's not the way this works. So you're still playing four on four functionally, even when he's on the floor, whether he makes 10 shots in a row or misses 10 shots in a row. And that is a value that he will provide unless it ever becomes definitive that he just can't shoot anymore. And I certainly do not expect that to happen. I certainly do not expect it to happen anytime soon, for sure. Next question, there are a couple different ones from Thunder underscore Clatter. Do we think that Looney, Kevon Looney, will ever establish himself as a valuable role player? Will the team move on? I think it's 
unlikely that he ever reaches that point, not only because of the injuries, but because he didn't really show the depth of his game to establish himself as a as a player that can really be worthy of rotation minutes. He's more of a power forward than a center defensively from what we've seen so far. He probably could switch a little bit. I've I've been intrigued by his skill set, but then he also hasn't shown a comfort stretching the floor. And in the Warriors system, if you can't really do either of those things, there isn't really a place for you. And even as much as Warriors fans are critical of James Michael McAdoo, at least he can defend the five and he does not perfect at it. And again, he's largely out of the rotation unless somebody's hurt or Kerr really feels like throwing him out there for some reason. So if you think about what Looney needs there, maybe a little bit of positional scarcity just because they don't have that many guys that can play power forward. But I don't think it's particularly likely if they're looking at a significant luxury tax bill, which it looks like they will. My instinct is that what's going to happen with him is that they are going to do what similar to what the Clippers did with CJ Wilcox, which is that they find a team that is interested in just taking a flyer on him. Looney is a guy that's worth that sort of thing just because of his talent and because his contract is reasonable considering where everything is in the league. So send him that team. If they're convinced of it before summer league, it would actually be way better to do it early, to do it like on draft night or something like that, either with a trade exception or something else, or you can come to the agreement to make the deal happen after the moratorium. Because if you're sure of it, then it doesn't matter what he does then. If they're not sure of it, then it becomes kind of more in the salary dump range and maybe a team's going to take a risk on it, but maybe they're not. So that's what I feel is most likely. I don't think that's definite by any stretch. I haven't talked to anybody in the front office, but the Warriors can do really, really well with minimum spots. So if they don't feel that Looney is going to be a part of the solution during the time that he's on his rookie scale contract, then they owe it to themselves to maximize that spot. So that's really, that. that's the first question. So uh, the second question they asked is something that I'm already doing a series of about like, who would you counter with the de- potential departures? That's what the replacements, the stunt one that I started with Ian Clark yesterday, that's what that's going to be. Third one is what kind of contract do you think Ian Clark will be receiving in the off season? I've struggled with this a lot. I thought there was a moment in the year where he had really made himself some money, but Clark has not proven himself at this point to be more than a pretty good like catch and shoot guy. He hasn't shown that he can, you know, run an offense on a second unit because the Warriors haven't asked him to do that. And then defensively, he's been very hit or miss. If I had to guess, those ty- players like that generally don't do well, but because he will have some of that Warriors glisten on him. I think that somebody will give him something in like the three years, 10 to 12 million range. So, you know, four, four million a year, three million a year, something in that range. But I get these kind of players wrong all the time because all it takes is one, maybe two teams to fall for a guy and say, no, he can do more with us than he did. And then that's what it takes. And also he's an unrestricted free agent. So if a team wants him, they can just pay him. They don't have to worry about matching. It's not going to stall his market or anything like that. So that's my instinct. And if, and if his price really is that low, I think the Warriors should consider bringing him back because while he's not perfect, he can fill a role with them that is actually somewhat hard to find. That was something I appreciated more doing the replacement thing on him is just that there aren't that many really good catch and shoot ones that are around. There are a few, like there are certainly guys that they should consider. And one of the other players I mentioned is using Patrick McCaw in that spot. And I think McCaw can do a good job there. But if the price is low, yeah, there'll be a luxury tax 
implication involved there, but I think you're going to be getting that no matter what. And I think he's better than somebody that they could be getting for the minimum or minimum plus. And so if you can fill that spot in that way, I think that would be a nice move for them. But again, there is a serious chance that somebody gives him six mil a year or more. I just don't know who it is. And I don't know what that sales pitch is. So I'm thinking it's a little lower, but as I said, I get that wrong all the time. And the last question is, can we bring back Darrell Wright? Because I miss him. Answer appears to be no. I think Darrell's played his last NBA minute, but you know, he was, he was a nice part of this team for a little while. And it's fun to see his brother DeLon in the NBA. His brother DeLon plays for the Toronto Raptors. He was drafted, I think it was two years ago, and he's kind of been injured and going through it, but he actually had some nice playoff minutes. So we'll see if that can continue. I said before, I did this podcast that I didn't want questions specifically on the finals because A, it's not set yet, and B, I'm going to do so much material on that that I wanted this to be different. But I also said that I don't have enough impulse control to stop myself if there's a good question. And also, I don't think this next question from Sniper236 is necessarily a Cavs one, and I'm going to take it not in that direction. And so the question was, have the Warriors been trying out different units start second quarter specifically to use against the Cavs LeBron and bench unit? And my answer there is no. I think that they've been doing it just because they wanted to see what they had. And also because... Mike Brown has a different approach. He said after game one that he wanted to see what that lineup could do. And I don't think there was really any ulterior motive. I mean, at that point in the game and in the series, I think that also happened in game two. I think they tried out something interesting. So I think at that point, they didn't know that they were going to be, you know, in this good spot. They didn't know that they were even going to win game one until they actually did. So I think it was more just to see if it worked, to see if it would try out the Spurs without Tony Parker had some different configurations and different alignments. And overall, I thought those lineups didn't do particularly well. You need more offense to stay above water. And that's why bringing Durant in helped bringing Ian Clark. I thought that he they were better with him than without him. And also Matt Barnes has not been so good since he came back from his from his leg injuries that you need to have him on the floor. It would be different, you know, if he played in the way that he did in those kind of middle days after Durant got hurt and he was looking looking good, you know, I think it was late March that he was really in line and like, wow, it was a really good decision that they kept him instead of what I had advocated for, which was bringing in Omri Caspi. And then when he came back, he didn't look, he still hasn't looked right. And the Warriors don't need him in 95, 99% of circumstances. So they don't need to kind of shoehorn a spot for him in the second unit, but worth trying. You know, I, I, I like experimentation. It's something that I support in terms of coaches to just see what works because there's no other way to really know, but I don't think that he needs to be a part of the solution. And my expectation is that they feel the same way considering they didn't really go back to it. And before the next question, I want to take a little bit of time to tell you about SeatGeek. SeatGeek has been my personal way of buying and selling tickets since before they were ever a sponsor. And I'm very familiar with the ticket business because it used to be the way I made my living. It's actually the way I paid off law school. And what I look for in a ticket site are a couple of basic things. One is a place that I feel like I can go for one stop and feel like I'm getting access to all the tickets because I can evaluate, but it takes time and you worry about security of the tickets. You worry about everything else. And so SeatGeek, by virtue of being an aggregator, you feel like you can go one place and you're good. And then the second part, which I originally didn't use at all and I've eventually kind of succumbed to because they do such a good job is their deal score. And so so what DealScore is attempting to do, and it does a really nice job, is 
putting together ticket quality and ticket price to say, hey, these are the best tickets. And they can't say where you want to sit. They can't say how much money you want to pay, but they can say, this is the best bang for your buck. And they do a really good job of it. I go to a fair number of Giants games. I used to actually cover them. And that was actually how I got really impressed with deal score because I kept on finding myself drawn to the tickets that actually had high deal scores. I'm like, they know what they're doing. And that's happened to other venues. So if you want to check out SeatGeek, you absolutely should download their free app, S-E-A-T-G-E-E-K. And then you go to the settings tab and you enter the promo code LO Warriors for Locked On Warriors. And you get a $20 rebate on your first purchase. So you put in the code, buy tickets to whatever you want. If you're willing to spend it, game one of the NBA finals. If you're not, it can be anything else, concerts, theater, anything really. And when you buy it, not only do you tell them that you came from us, but you get $20 back. It's pretty awesome. And again, LO Warriors is the promo code. SeatGeek is the advertiser. And now back to the mailbag. Next question is from uh, Dakroon One, something that I've gotten from a few different people, which is, what are the repercussions of losing Travis Schlenk, if anything? And part of the reason I've avoided answering this is because the best answer is, I don't know. The Warriors use a different approach to their front office. They have a lot of voices in the room. And when that happens, it's very hard to know not only who felt which way, but really who was the reason that that happened. And so, you know, finding Patrick McCaw, drafting Patrick McCaw, buying that pick, a couple other moves that they've made, you know, finding guys through various means, you know, through the second round, through the, through the draft. That could be Travis Schlank. It could not be. I'm not, I'm not genuinely sure. And I don't have enough ins with those people to know definitively. So intuitively, it'll probably hurt a little bit, but the Warriors have this benefit of being so desirable to play for that finding bargains, being able to buy picks is great and they need to be able to identify that talent, but they do have a lot of these material advantages over other teams. So they still need it. You need every margin you can in the league. And if McCaw really works out, then that will be significant for them. But I don't know exactly what of their success is Schlenk and what of it is anybody else. So I'm not going to speak definitively on it because I don't want to do that. Really interesting question from Carnivorous Shrimp, of the four stars, who will age the best? And then the second part was, how old can Curry and Durant be and still be the best players on a championship team? So intuitively to me, the best player in terms of aging is Klay Thompson. Thompson has a couple of really, really big things going for him. One is athleticism is not as important to his game as it is for some of the other guys. And two, he's big for his position. So even if he's not getting as much lift on his jump shot, he is still higher than most guys. So that is a big benefit that he has that if he were a couple inches shorter, I would be more skeptical of it. It'll hurt him defensively as it does for everybody. But again, being bigger for his position helps. He's also become much more intelligent and active as a defender. Those things will age well. To me, second is Durant. Partially, again, he's big for his position. He might end up sliding down to the four at some point, you know, more regularly, depending on how it all works. If he can't defend small forwards anymore, then that'll really be where it happens as opposed to the offensive end. Because offensively, as long as he's good, teams are still going to use their three on him. It's the whole thing with Paul George playing power forward. It didn't matter because the other team's going to play their, their three on him anyway. So, I think that's broadly true with Durant. The reason he is below Clay is because his first step and his handle are both more a part of his offense than it is for Thompson. So when that stuff starts to fade out and also he's good as a weak side protector and if you start to become a half step slow or a full step slow, those get harder to do. He's long, so it'll help, but it's not going to be there in the same way. 
How old can Curry and Durant be and still be the best players on a championship team is a really tough call. And my instinct with guys, almost every guy except for LeBron because he's a cyborg, is about 30-31. But what makes the Warriors different is that they have so much talent. And so I think the Warriors could extend a little bit beyond that just because their collective talent is so high. It will depend immensely on where the other teams in the league are. Like if the Warriors are still the most talented team, if that four all-stars, if they all stay together for another three or so years and nobody's really stepped up, you know, the Bucks are pretty cap limited now. The Cavs will be older by then. They might even had a couple of guys leave. The Sixers have potential, but they haven't figured it out. The Wolves, we don't know. The Jazz could lose some of their guys, you know, all those sorts of things. So It'll be harder for them at that point, but also remember that they could be getting infusions of talent, both through guys like Patrick McCall working out through the minimum contracts and just if they're willing to bite the bullet on the luxury tax using the mid-level exception year after year. And something to remember there is the Warriors haven't really hit that point yet where they've been desirable for so long that they've kind of gotten the spillover. So remember Miami, the core guys got worse over the course of their time. They were, you know, they were getting older and Wade, his best year with the Miami foursome was 20, the 2011 playoffs when he was fantastic. He started aging, but what happened is they started adding like Shane Battier and Ray Allen and Birdman. And they kind of tweaked around the point guard situation. Their point guard spot was disastrous in the 2011 finals. It's a part of why they lost. So the word Warriors will have some of those advantages, assuming Lakeup and Goober are willing to pay the luxury tax. Those sorts of things could end up extending the lifespan maybe a year or two because they could keep the talent level high and they're going to have to figure some of this stuff out. I mean, they're not going to hit on their centers every year like they have this year, but they're going to be desirable in the same way for as long as these guys are competitive and probably for a few years after because desirability in that way is always a lagging indicator because you think back to, oh, look at how good the Warriors were until they show that they're not that anymore. People will assume that they can be or that they are. So that's the way that I'm approaching it at this point. And the Warriors also remember, I, I would fully expect that they will have a couple of rough years at the end of this run because it's very unlikely that they will be able to time it so that they're cutting the cord on the players as they age out of whatever they are. So that's a part of this. It happens to, it's a way better way to have it end than what Miami dealt with, which is, you know, wondering if it could have continued or knowing in their case that it could have continued. So you have all that running together, but that's a part of this. And the Warriors, I talked about this with Andy Liu when he was on, this is the best three-year run in the history of the franchise. And whether you want to say that losing a championship again, should that be what happens is a huge disappointment. The Warriors had never won 60 games before, and now they've won 67, 73, 67, made the NBA Finals three years, won minimum of one championship. So if this continues in some form for another couple of years, you deal with the fallout for as long as it takes because they've given this fan base more than any of us could have ever reasonably anticipated. And I, even though I don't consider myself a fan, I do consider myself in the expectations game because I've been covering the Warriors since 09. I had an idea of what they were and what they would be. And while I was high on Steph Curry and argued that he was being underutilized, 
especially under Mark Jackson, but also under Key Smart, that they've gotten so much more out of that. And I think it's always important to appreciate that for what it is and go with it. Another Cavs question I can't totally help myself from answering from Blue underscore Ridge. How could Andre Godala's health affect the Warriors rotations in a final showdown with the Cavs? Iguodala is more important in that series than really any other because LeBron is just so strong. He certainly would have been important if Kawhi Leonard had played in the Western Conference Finals, but Cleveland is a little bit of a different beast because they're so much better offensively than the Spurs are, and you can't help off LeBron in this, in this or help off the other guys with LeBron in the same way. Part Partially because the other guys are better and partially because LeBron's a way better passer. So you need guys who can just slow him down one-on-one and maybe need help less. So the less Iguodala can do that, the harder it's going to be for the Warriors. I think Durant's going to draw the assignment fairly frequently too. They'll also do probably at least a little bit of switching. So it hurts because they also then need to give more minutes to other players who probably aren't as good of fits with everything else. And that that would be a big problem. So I think that's something to watch. It's something to consider early on in that series. Probably not something we're going to know until game one, because while they can say what they want about practices, that's a very different thing than knowing. And I don't think we're going to know until that point. The last question of this part is going to be from Drummer Rob, I am going to do a part two, and that is, given the looming lack of flexibility for the Warriors once they re-sign Curry, Durant, and potentially Iguodala and Livingston, would you expect the Warriors to try and trade into this draft to try and get some cost control players for the next few years? If so, who, what, where? Yes, basically. If the Warriors want to stay competitive, one of the best things they can do is buy into the best pick that they can get just about every year. And that's the best way that they can use that money. That money does not apply to the salary cap. It does not apply to the luxury tax. And whoever they get in the draft is going to be a worthwhile use of resources if they if they deem it so you know it's kind of that idea of like if you want to give one roster spot or two to that sort of a player it's a good use of resources because all they're all they're getting is a minimum salary or close to it and a roster spot and that's also why you want to make sure that if a player doesn't fit that you unload them in some form so that could be trading them to somebody else or just doing it because the Warriors roster spots are really valuable but they should spend one or two at any given time on these kind of lottery tickets and the best lottery ticket that they're going to have in most circumstances is a second round pick. I think that we're going to see the value of those picks go up, meaning the Warriors can get their dollar will go shorter, but really the threshold line always is about 45. I would say once you get past 45, you're running into a lot of European guys, you're running into the idea of what you want to do really with those spots. And at that point, maybe unless there's somebody that you are completely confident that you think is going to be good, and that is not going to make it undrafted, you might be better off kind of channeling those resources other ways. Like one of the guys that I thought would have been intriguing for the Warriors to go after this past year was Gary Payton II, because I thought he could be a nice fit as kind of a lottery ticket of a point guard. Ended up going to Houston. That didn't end up working out. But that's worth watching to see if they do that maybe, where they're, if their money only takes them to, I don't know, like 45 or 48 then maybe you start thinking about it a little bit differently. But I'm not completely sure if that's going to be the case this year. I am almost positive that it will not be that the the money you can add in trades will not be enough to buy a first round pick anytime soon. It sounds like the last first round pick that was bought will be Rudy Gobert. And that's a pretty good explainer for why that's not going to happen again. So the Warriors actually passed on Rudy Gobert in a weird way because they traded up ahead of where he was chosen with the pick that actually became Andre Robertson, then traded back down to clear some of the money that they took on to move up. 
and I thought that was a huge mistake. There's actually audio of when I appeared on radio the next morning, I think it was on KMBR, criticizing the Warriors for that move, but we're not always right. I had Rudy Gobert, I think, third or fourth on my board that year. I thought he was going to be amazing, and we get some calls right, we get some calls wrong. That was when I really did get right, but we're not going to see first-round picks sold again for exactly that reason, and while their salaries are higher than they were in prior years, which makes their less of a value because they fixed that with the new collective bargaining agreement, it's still not going to happen because you have so much power there. And there are usually more than 30 good people that come into the draft every year. Not great. You know, you're not, you're never going to see like expected starters at 30, but there are talents there every year. And also we're seeing some of the players like Deontay Davis was the highest paid American second round pick ever last year. And I think we're going to see more like that as well, even though they raised the minimum salary, just because it's another way of adding in value and there are more good players. So I completely in support of that sort of thing. And if the Warriors can pull it off, they absolutely should. So that's enough for now. Still have a lot of really good stuff. I think the second half is going to be, some are going to be a little shorter answers, but that's why there'll be, I think there'll actually be more questions in the second half, but it's going into that. And the other thing I want to announce is that I found out today that my book, 100 Things Warriors Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die, is now available in on Amazon, and I think it's on Barnes & Noble, and probably a fair amount of other outlets. I I support local things. If you, I don't know, I don't know how pre-orders work at smaller bookstores, but hey, if, you, if it's not some if you want to encourage people to do it, but it's really exciting. You know, it's, the book's still not coming out. Has it, They also announced the publish date. It's going to be November 1st, so that'll be right at the beginning of the season and I'm thrilled about it. It's still in the editorial process. I submitted a full edit about three, four weeks after the announcement I had. It was right at the end of the regular season, and so I went through the book a whole nother time, added about 6,000 words, some substance to some of the cool issues, and colored some things in, and really happy with it. Going to, I think it's going to go through two more edits on my end, much less all the other people are going to look at it between now and when it comes out, and it's, it's, it's really exciting, and I hope you, if you feel the urge to do it. I'm not going to push people. If you want to buy it, you can buy it. If you don't want to buy it, you don't have to. But it is a cool kind of landmark in that way. And to see see it on, I mean, on Amazon and to see the cover and all that kind of stuff was awfully cool for me. So you can check it out there. And I think if you just search my name, that'll be an easy way to do it. And it's, it's Danny because Danny's my publishing name. So thank you so much for listening. I will have a part two of this that will come out at some point on Thursday slash Friday. And that will cover most of the remaining questions. Also, if you hear this in time, I don't know when I'm going to record that. You could also probably just ask some more questions and if they're good, I'll, I'll tackle them. And you can upvote other stuff if you want, but I'm going to try to go through as much as I can. I'm, unless something's like a bad question, I'm probably not going to skip it unless I just really run out of time. So that's plenty of rambling. If you want to support the show, you can subscribe, download every episode, leave a rating, leave a review, and also check out SeatGeek, my personal go-to for both buying and selling tickets. And it's un- I th- we focus on on the buying part of it, but if you need to sell tickets, it's a great place to do that. And you should always try to do that in the place where you buy, because if you're buying there, then you think other people are as well. And I made a living off selling tickets. So noting that for what it is, if you have any feedback on the show or sorry, I forgot the promo code, SeatGeek promo code, LO Warriors, LO Warriors, and you get a $20 rebate on your first purchase. If you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, MBA at gmail.com at DanielRue on Twitter. And I'll be back tomorrow. Also doing the Twitter MBA show with Nate Duncan for game five of Cavs Celtics. That'll be fun. And it looks like my offseason preview for the Milwaukee Bucks is going to be the one that comes out on Thursday at Sports Illustrated. Still cool to say. And Nate and I also did both the Bucks offseason preview and previewed Dennis Smith, point guard out of North Carolina 
Carolina State for Dunked On, which will come out today. So lots going on, lots of fun stuff. And thank you so much for listening. Still have a week until game one. Take care and make it a great day. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. San Jose Sharks hockey is back, and we've got you covered five days a week at Locked On Sharks. I'm Kyle Demetrius. I'm J.D. Young. Eric Fowle. Together we make sure you're never without your Sharks programming. Will the Sharks make a trade for a right winger? We got you covered. Will Eric Carlson's groin hold up for the entire season? We've got you covered. Whatever happens with Team Teal every day, we've got you covered at Locked On Sharks five days a week on the Locked On Podcast Network. This is Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world. If you're looking for information regarding fantasy basketball, recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.